Shri Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Gaur Bhaktabrinda ki jai. Gaur Premanande. Welcome. And good evening. So, we are discussing from the twelfth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Susadya Bhakti Yogam, the easy path of Bhakti Yoga, the better path. And, and um, tonight we come to the final section. final section is verse 13 through, through 20. And the last uh, lines of the the twelfth verse take us into that where Krishna says Dhyanat Karma Phala Tyagas Jaidat Chantir Anantaram. So he's speaking in this twelfth verse about the efficacy of uh, bhakti when it reaches the stage of Lilasmaranam Dhyan Prati in, in Bhava Bhakti and how that which is uh, uh, sought, really, uh, to be accomplished and um, to be, I want to say, very closely connected with the goal of the jnani, sense control, hmm? withdrawing of the senses <coughs> from the object, detachment from the fruits of good and bad uh, actions or good and bad results, uh, sukha, dukkha. Um, this I want to say is is, is rather the the um, beginning of stages of bhakti. For example, in yoga, yoga sadhana, we have chitta vritti nirodha, so to clear the the chitta of any vrittis, any impressions, waves, uh, if you will, in the ocean of the mind that. Uh, make it disturbed, but in in bhakti sadhana, then um, this is hardly the goal or the end. That happens, but by way of um, bhakti vritti, a wave of bhakti, the impressions of of, of bhakti in the form of bhava, um, coming on and riding on the mind, taking over the mind. What does Rupa Goswami say? He says, Bhava, Sudha Sattva Visheshatma, Prema Suryam Susami, Visheshatma of the Sudha Sattva. So, Ladini and Sambit, in a particular form <coughs> corresponding to a particular uh, type of, 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 of love of Krishna, hmm, takes over the mind and the body. Hmm. And as this sadhaka deha then is so absorbed, the siddha deha naturally arises, and then it's cultured in Baba Bhakti. And he said here that the uh, ideal—he's implied that the ideal of in the gyan mark. This is the chapter about what's better, the gyan mark or the bhakti mark. Hmm? Krishna's quite emphatic about it, from many different ways. He's spoken. We've gone over it at some length. Why bhakti is better why he is better than Brahman. Well, that's him too. Um, and, and 
as I say, the jnani, in one sense, is once his senses are controlled, he's no longer interacting with sense objects in a way that bring about repercussions. He's waiting for his parabdha, manifest karma, to play itself out, and the idea is he attains mukti thereby. So a jivan mukta in the Marg is is one thing, but he wants to say here that in bhakti marg, when one attains a status, a liberated status in this world, hmm, analogous to the Jivan Mukta, bhakti is not over. Hmm. Uh, the kind of bhakti in particular that he's describing here requires the cultivation of prem, of bhava turning into prem, um, and uh, he has very much uh, central focus at that stage is, is smarnam. <clears throat> albeit supported by kirtan and arising out of kirtan and so forth. But this is not um, characteristically what we find in invited bhakti. There's no necessity for smarnam. Smarnam is an aspect, uh, one of the limbs of vaidhi bhakti. But in rag bhakti, of course, it's necessary. It's necessary as you have the eligibility to 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 engage in it. Um, and important point we've been stressing and Krishna's been talking here about levels of eligibility within within bhakti in the previous section so anyway he ends that section by emphasizing that the life of the devotee in smarnam in rati in bhava bhakti is so comprehensive in terms of um, uprooting the tendency towards um, uh, attraction to sense objects and, and the attachment that uh, accrues from that. Um, that um, I gave the example last night. It's like if you want, we have some trees that we had to take down and make a pasture, so you know to do something with them. So you could dig a big hole with a uh, with a machine and put them in there, and cover it up, and so forth. But still, something might come up. And so the idea of bhakti is you dig the hole, put the in there, and you, then you build a temple on top of it, and you dance in the temple, and no chance for anything coming up. That's why it is said here that it, would, it is said in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that one of the qualities of, one of the characteristics of bhakti in bhava is that it makes liberation uh, um, look insignificant. More than that, moksha laghanukrita, I mean, makes it. Um, very unappealing. Before Bhava, the devotee will know theoretically, and have and lose interest in re, in renunciation as he progresses from nishta, ruchi, and asakti. But in Bhava Bhakti, he finds it absolutely. Um, um, well, you get these statements like Vishwanachakriti uh, Thakur. What does he say? Kaivalyum Narakayate. This uh, liberation is like hell. I would rather be in hell than attain Sahyuja Mukti. These are very, very strong statements. This is one of the characteristics of bhakti as it uh, reaches the, the budding stage of bhava. So, at any rate, he wants to say that this, uh, again, that bhakti is, it, 
it, it picks up even where liberation limps off. It makes small of it. Uh, this is the, this is the, the goal of the jnanis. Hmm. Um, he recommends rather, if you can't do bhakti, do do nishkam karma yoga with the, with devoting the fruits to me. He doesn't say do gyan. Hmm. That bhak, that kind of nishkam karma yoga, with some bhakti factor, and it will bring to to vaidhi bhakti in due course. Hmm. Gyan mark won't unto itself. Hmm. So. Anyway, he concludes this section, last night's section, with this uh, emphasis on the efficacy of bhakti and with regard to controlling the senses and, and liberation, which is the goal of the jnani. So it's in the way of making Gyanmarg look uh, small and um, not worth, not only is it troublesome, hmm, arduous, difficult um, for the embodied and so forth, its goal is difficult to explain or talk about. You can only talk about it with negatives. Neti, neti. It's not this, it's not that. Hmm. Um, but um, here he's making an ontological statement, really, as well, indirectly, that the personality of God in Bhagawan is ontologically a more comprehensive, more complete manifestation of divinity than Brahman. Hmm. So it's not just that bhakti is easier. That would be enough, <laughs> because you need all the help you can get, and uh, if you can take the elevator, why take the stairs in this case? So, but but more so, even the goal, the ideal, is uh, ontologically superior. So, having said that, now he begins the final section, which um, is uh, is very just very basically a list of different qualities of different. Devotees. Not all devotees will have all the qualities, but some devotees have these qualities, some have those qualities, and they're basically um, very uh, uh, desirable qualities. And the point here is that they come out of this um, having uh, controlled senses by way of senses focused on Krishna, and thereby permanently or very effectively restrained from sense objects so forth, so forth so these qualities we can we can hear about them we can think about them um, you see them to some extent here and there but he's saying that these are qualities in devotees that and it, he means that they arise out of a spiritual discipline of bhakti to, where the mind and senses are focused on me so they're different than the same qualities found in other people hmm? We, that's an interesting point, of course. Um, the idea is that, for example, we would maybe call them shadows of of uh, what we find in in in, in the non-devotee these qualities. Um, if you, for example, uh, there's uh, sometimes after robbing the bank, the thieves insist on dividing the loot honestly, fairly. Let's divide the loot honestly. So this speaks to us of the fact that there are universally, there are built into nature or into human psychology, at least, virtues, that which is virtuous, in, in all, regardless of how unvirtuous you may be on one side, those virtues show up. So there's honesty among thieves. But what is that? 
How much we will, will, will we honor that and, and uh, consider the person truly honest if he has honesty in the context of thievery? Hmm? So, for example, these, the, the idea of these qualities, of course, the devotee's qualities, are mentioned in many places. They're mentioned here, over seven, eight verses, a number of them. They're mentioned in Bhagavatam. Uddhava speaks to Krishna about 26 qualities. Those qualities are repeated by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami and Chaitanya Charitamrita. He, he enumerates them with regard to Haridas Pandit, who uh, he was influential in Vrindavan and um, in Krishna Das's coming to author, be the chosen author of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Rupa Goswami speaks of 64 qualities of Krishna, 50 of which are attainable in minute degree, uh, by by jivas, it means by devotees, hmm? jivas who become devotees. So, uh, Bhagavatam, Prahlad says, yes, yes, the famous verse, yes, yes, ti bhakti bhagavati akhenchana sarve argunai stata samasate sura haruva bhakta sukto madguna mano vritenasati dhavato bhahi. And this makes the contrast between the two, the idea of qualities of devotees that are of a spiritual character and the semblance of them, the facsimile of them, the shadow of them that uh, can be found in non-devotees that are um, not arising out of um, the sense control and the absorption in meditation on on Bhagwan. So they're different. The, the, the genesis is different. Hmm? So this here is not a description of how to go out and get good qualities and influence friends or people or whatever that the book is. That That's not what it's about. It's about bhakti hmm? and the efficacy of bhakti, the effect of bhakti, that among other things, these good qualities come in the devotee. Prahlad said, Yasyasti bhakti bhagavati akinchana sarvergunais tatra samasate sura. All the devas, the gods and the goddesses, they reside in the devote in the body of the devotee. Hmm? Um, one way of understanding that, of course, is that by pleasing Krishna, all the gods are pleased, and these gods are also partial manifestations of Bhagavan. Hmm? They are the divinitrena, so to speak, the the the, the, uh, the consciousness uh, uh, factor. Uh, the, behind the, um, the, the the movements of prominent movements of of, of nature, hmm? so we certainly differentiate the gods and goddesses of the world from Bhagwan, but they are also positions of empowerment that are um, um, have some I want to say um, uh, divinity to them. And the good quality. So, um, by way of serving Bhagavan, they become pleased, and the implication is the devotee develops all the good qualities of the gods. And by contrast, Prahlad says what? Um, that uh, those who are not devotees, Manoratena, Satidhavitobhi, Dayatobhi, Manoratena, they ride Mano on the Rata, the chariot of the mind. Hmm? Again, these qualities are coming out of a different kind of mind, hmm? he says. Huh? Hmm. The meditative mind. Dhyanat, karma palatyagat, tyagat chandyam, anantaram. Hmm? 
And by contrast, those who are not absorbed in such a discipline as uh, as bhakti or other spiritual disciplines whose efficacy is dependent upon some element of bhakti. We've talked about this. It's come up many times. Yoga requires some bhakti in order for it to be efficacious in the full sense. Uh, Gyanmarg requires some bhakti. Here, the, this chapter, of course, as I said, the, the, the contrast between Gyan and bhakti is given in, in each time that Arjun and Krishna speak about Gyan and its ideal, as it's explained here, um, of uh, Sayuja Mukti, they speak of worship of Brahman. So the, it's, it, the Upasate, the implication is some, some Sattviki Bhakti is, is factored in. And this makes Gyan efficacious, makes it effective. Um, this is a point that's being brought out in this chapter. So, so what speak of bhakti unto herself, if on the other paths, with regard to transcendence, karma and jnana, for example, or karma and yoga, hmm, are to be effective, some bhakti must be there. So if a path is only bhakti, then... And this is a subject, ananya bhakti, not even mixed bhakti, really, but ananya bhakti. Again, this is the last of the six chapters about bhakti. Hmm? So it's kind of a summary in a sense, of what's come before it. And so, qualities arising out of a controlled mind and, and a mind really controlled. Hmm? As we said last night, the best, uh, they say in sports, the best defense is a good offense, this idea of bhakti. How you will restrain hmm, the defense against this, the, the attraction of the, of the, of the world, hmm? how you'll be affected by a good offense, hmm? by... And it's not difficult to become attracted to Radhamanava. Hmm? That's not, not so hard. Or to devotees, real devotees, with all these qualities that are mentioned here and so forth. So, so the qualities of the world, Prahlad says, by contrast, that we find in people, well, they're, they're riding on the, the chariot of the mind. Hmm? Um, and, and, uh, they are absorbed, asati, they are absorbed in that which is asat. Hmm? And so, from that perspective, hmm, their life is, is meaningless. That, for, from that perspective, they have no good qualities because they're, they're absorbed in that which is unreal. Because hmm? we, we, we may ask, well, it seems like some non-devotees have some good qualities. Some of them have better qualities than devotees. They are not that good at devotees, but <laughs> but um, uh, but again, what is the meaning of honesty uh, amongst amongst thieves? If we don't recognize the proprietorship of Bhagwan, if we're not preoccupied with that which is real, meaningful, what is the value of the good qualities? So it's thought that that in the in the devotees, in the full sense of the term, and this is speaking about accomplished devotees here. Obviously, this is the, where we've come to in the in the text. Um, in them we find only good qualities. In non-devotees we might find some good qualities, but we find bad qualities there too. Hmm. So that's another way of thinking about it, difference. And then again, the good qualities that they have, what are they being used for? Hmm. 
So this is my analogy. If there's honesty amongst thieves, so if you have good qualities, let's say you you're learned, and you and you and you have the quality that you can study the scripture and understand the theoretical meaning and so forth, huh? but then you use that just to um, attract followers or to make a make make a living or to you know make your head fat uh, rather than your heart soft and so forth then. What's the value of that? Well, to speak of other good qualities that people may have, hmm? um, they're ultimately bad because what are they using them for? What's the purpose? So you have a good quality and you use it for a purpose that is that is for your, or for your own self bad, hmm? not in your ultimate interest. So that's kind of the thievery, if you will. Therefore, Bhagavatam is very much about... Um, not about kaitava dharma, not about cheating the self. Dharma projita kaitavotra, paramo nirmatsaranam satam. And the nirmatsar, the non-envious, is the first quality that's mentioned, advishti sarvabhutanam. He's not envious of anyone, hmm? the devotee. So we'll just read through these. It's very beautiful. These these verses sometimes have been put uh, into song hmm? by devotees. And are sung as a as a meditation. You can do that if you like. Um, again, it's the concluding section of this chapter that asks what's better, devotion or gyan, and it concludes with a beautiful glorification of those who are uh, accomplished devotees, meditating upon them and their qualities and so forth, as discussed here that will bring good qualities in you. So he says, He who hates no one, who is a friend, who is friendly and compassionate, free from possessiveness and egotism, equal in the face of pain, pleasure, patient, who is a yogi, who is always satisfied, self-controlled, and self-controlled means, well, and, and firm in his resolve, whose mind and intellect are fixed on me, and who is thus my devotee, is dear to me. And this is the refrain here is dear to me, is dear to me, is dear to me, is very dear to me. Hmm. Uh, he by whom no one is put into difficulty and who is never disturbed by anyone, who is free from happiness, impatience, fear, and agitation, is dear to me. Free from happiness, that's a good one. I'm, that's me. My, my devotee who strives not for any results and is pure, expert, impartial, free from desire and anxiety, again, is very dear to me. One who, is, who neither rejoices nor frets, nor neither hankers nor laments, who has renounced both good and evil and is filled with devotion, is very dear to me. One who is equal to friends and enemies, equally poised in honor and dishonor, alike in heat and cold, pleasure and pain, free from attachment, indifferent, to blame and praise, controlled in speech, satisfied in gain, without endeavor, without any fixed residence, even-minded, fully engaged in acts of devotion. This person is very dear to me. And the final verse, he says, what? Yes, ye tu dharmam ritam midam yitoktam paryupasate shaddhanamat parama bhaktas te divume priya. So here he, he concludes by way of saying 
implying that these are different qualities of different devotees, all of who are dear to me. And then there are some devotees who have all these qualities, and they're very dear to me. They have ati, ati, ati good qualities, ativa, extremely, um, they're extreme, therefore they're extremely dear to me. Yes, to dharmamritam. Dharmamritam is, of course, a nice word. Uh, dharma is uh, not thought to be, um, in the general sense of the term, uh, that which uh, is um, is uh, ambrosial, uh, neither um, eternal. Indeed, dharma is thought of as something that one will engage in to give up to attain immortality. Dharma is done to, for example, dharma means varnashram. What is the goal of the varnashram in and of itself is, is, to, is, this, is the renunciation of the dharma. If you do the dharma and then for the fruits and then for without the fruits, without desire for the fruits, then you could come to jnana and and sannyas and so forth. So, um, but Mahaprabhu, of course, has a different idea beyond the the sannyas, beyond mukti. His prem, prem prayoja, panchama purushartha, fourth goal of life. This is what Dharmamritam speaks about because when you put together dharma and knowledge or dharma and eternality, dharma and uh, nectar, uh, Dharma is not particularly uh, ambrosial or nectarine. You know, you, you, it's, it can be very painful <laughs> to do the right thing in this world. Can be uh, cause one some 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 difficulty in, in the short short term. Um, so only in terms of the the, the the extent to which the dharmic eventually become pure in heart and detached and then can forego the dharma, does dharma lead to eternality? But generally these two things, jnana and karma, are separate. Hmm? Karma done right, the karma marg or the dharma marg is performing the duties without attachment to the results that purifies the heart so that jnana can come in, wisdom can enter in. And then that can be cultivated, sitting in dhyana, meditation, and so forth. Because now you can sit because you've walked in such a way that uh, that you have uh, no longer any attachment you've, to, the, to the fruits of your work. So there's no reason to get up. <laughs> there's no reason to move. So dharma leads to jnana, jnana leads to immortality. So the immortality of dharma, what is that? We find it in the Gita, where Krishna says, "What Rajavijja Rajaguyam Pavitram Idam Uttamam Pratyaksha Vagamam Dharmam Susukam Kartamavayam." Here he's speaking about knowledge. And of course, we doesn't take much to find out uh, that the knowledge we study the chapter, the knowledge that he's talking about, Rajavijja, the highest knowledge, the king of knowledge, is Bhakti. Hmm? Uh, that's a very emotional chapter, and it culminates with. His instruction to Arjuna, of course, is repeated at the end of the Gita in the 18th chapter. Manmana bhava madbhakto. Become my devotee. This is the highest knowledge. Prem, love, has 
is pregnant with the knowledge, a kind of knowledge that's essential, not extra knowledge, but when you love, you know what to do. Something like that. Love is uh, action uh, well informed. It's intuitive action. It's beyond thinking. Kind of a knowing beyond thinking. It's not because we think we can know. Thinking is getting in the way of our knowing. So, there is knowledge in Prem. Indeed, Prem is the highest knowledge. This is the idea. Uh, we said it the other night, the Leela, the Prema, Prema Madhurya, that one, this is one of the qualities of Krishna, Prema Madhurya. He is Leela Purushottam. In his Leela, his, there's a kind of ignorance. If you know everything, you're omniscient, then the problem is boredom. So, the solution is is you play, you make up something. That is Leela. Hmm. But in his play, of course, there's so there's an unknowing. Otherwise you can't play. If you know what's gonna happen, well, you know, you can't play. So there's an there's an in an unknowing hmm, that constitutes a greater knowing than his omniscience. Hmm. It's the knowing of loving that's actually fulfilling. So knowledge is not you know, just something to have around. It has a purpose. Knowledge should inform action by which we become satisfied, by which we get what we need. We become fulfilled. We become happy. So in Prem, there's movement. It's a kind of dharma. This is a, it, it, it's called Prem dharma. It's called Paro dharma. This is a, a big distinction in the Bhagavatam that continually, repeatedly, repeatedly contrasts Prema Dharma with the Dharma Marg, Varnashram. Steps on the head of that repeatedly. Says, Shrama Ebuhi Kebalam. That's a waste of time. There's no gain in that. This is Paro Dharma. The term of the language of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his followers, Prema Dharma. So, this is when he speaks about this in the Gita, Rajavidya, Rajaguyam, ninth chapter, Pabitram, Idam, Uttamam, Pratyakshabhagamam, Dharmam, Susukam, Kartamavyam. He's saying this knowledge is dharmic. Wait a minute. Knowledge and dharma, hmm? as I said, that you, know, you leave dharma, you, you transcend the dharma when you have knowledge. And you no longer have any obligation to Dharma hmm? in Gyanmarg. Hmm? So what to speak of in Bhakti Marg? This is another point. <laughs> but he has called his uh, Bhakti uh, the highest knowledge and it's Dharmic. So this juxtaposition of Dharma and knowledge is curious because normally they're separate paths. One leads to the other but upon arriving from at Gyan, from 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 Dharma or the Karma Mark, that's left behind. And he's describing the Bhakti Mark as Dharmic and as the highest knowledge. Hmm? So same idea is given here with the word Dharmamritam. He's speaking about uh, Prem Bhakti. It's Dharma that is that is eternal, and it is a nectar. Amrit means Amrit, not deathless. And it means uh, immortality, it means uh, nectar. This is not just immortality, but the nectar of immortality. So it's a nice word anyway he's using. 
He says, Yastu damam ritam idam yathoktam paryupasate. But, too, however, hmm, there are those engaged in the dharmam ritam. Hmm? Um, and worshipping me with shadadhana, with great faith, matparama, hmm? taking me as the supreme. He says, indeed, however, those devotees, there are devotees, the implication is, who have all these qualities. I love them. Hmm? They are endowed with faith in my supremacy and are devoted to me. So this is the conclusion then of Susadya Bhakti Yoga, the easy way, hmm, that which is easily accomplished, the natural path of bhakti as opposed to the forced path of jnana, which is an effort-based path, very arduous, torturous to the body, hmm, um, uh, Not this, uh, success is not assured. We've just go over, we've described four types of jnanis, two of which will be successful and two which will, of whom will not be successful. Hmm? There's not any mention of such. Some devotees will be successful. Some devotees will not be successful. Krishna says there's no question of not being successful. There's no question of them being unsuccessful. Hmm? I make them successful. I create their success. I deliver them, he says. They're not delivering themselves, so it's not an issue. Hmm? Whether they, you know, not, will I be successful is not a, really a, a good question for bhakti. Hmm? It's not a good question. It's not about you being successful. It's about Krishna delivering you. Will he, will he deliver me? That Of course. He says it here. Hmm? When? Well, that's, you know, another thing. But if you understand how good it is, what the ideal is then, good things are worth, uh, worth waiting for. Hmm? So that's what we do. We practice, wait. Hmm? You make endeavor for grace. This is our, we endeavor to get grace. Otherwise, Ganmar, Gyogamar, these are very effort-based. Hmm? And that's why you, you can't get in with those. You can't just, you know, kick down the doors of, uh, uh, and, 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 and get out of material existence. So some grace has to be there. Hmm? And of course, the more then, the deeper you go with transcendence, the deeper the experience, the more is the Yoga Vittama, which is the question at the beginning of the chapter. The more is the yoga, the yukta, hmm, yukta-uttama, hmm, the connection with, uh, with, with uh, the absolute, your penetration into transcendence. So, short class. Any question? Yes. Are, are, all, uh, are all jivas created equal? No jivas are created. Are all jivas equal? Well, it depends what you mean by equal. Um, you mean amongst the Buddha Jivas, the conditioned souls uh, in this world? Are all the Jivas equal? They're all equally Jivas. They're all Jivas, Jiva Tattva, uh, particle of Jiva Shakti. There, there's two ways to look at the, look at them. You can look at them from a Shakti perspective, and they're constituted of Jiva Shakti, all of them. Or we can look at it from um, a um, amsa perspective, and they're amsabas, amsabas, or uh, what was the other term, um, vibhinamsa, 
Bibin Amsa, a separated part. Amsa Bhas, a, a sh- kind of a, a sh- uh, partial. Amsa, Amsa means part. So there's, there's the God, and he has his different uh, manifestations. Hmm? One of those types of manifestations is the avatar principle. Hmm? And the, the Adi Puman Deva, the original avatar, is the Mahavishnu, and then from him so many jivas are coming there, the Amsabhas. It's one way of looking at it. And they are, the, from the Shakti perspective, Tadasta Shakti. So like we say, the jivas is Purusha and Prakriti. It's para-prakriti and apara-purusha, something like that. <laughs> so, um, are they all equal? Um, it's a kind of a question that's... Um, it, it, um, it's a difficult question to answer because, because the jiva has no origin. Nothing does. Whatever exists will always exist. Whatever doesn't exist will never exist. Um, so, this is the Upanishadic idea. So the world's always existing. The karma of the jivas is always existing. Sadakas are always existing. Well, you know, sadhana has to have a beginning, right? By association. Hmm? Right? But still, there's no beginning to the sadhakas because there's no beginning to the world. <laughs> there's no beginning to the jivas. And there's no beginning to the world, the jivas. You you, there's no beginning to the world. There's no beginning to the jivas. So there's no beginning to karma because that's the world. That's what puts, puts the two of them together. Hmm? And, 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 then, and, and then there's no beginning to the avatars who come in the world. They've been doing it ever since the world existed. And uh, some of them are Shaktabesha avatars, or they are represented the avatar, by great devotees and so forth. There's, there's, there's no. So there's always been sadhakas. Hmm? Um, I guess some will become sadhakas too. Yeah, we experience that as well. But um, so when you start to look at it like that, it, it's, uh, you want to say, are they all equal, or they started out differently, or something? Basically, the scripture says, no, they don't start out unequally hmm, because there's no start. Hmm. That's a question that comes up in the sutras with regard to God's um, um, partiality. partiality. Is God, God must be partial because we see partiality in the world. There are people who are, um, suffer and people who enjoy. So God must be partial which was, is thought to be a defect. Hmm? And if there's, and of course, for, for, from the Vedanta perspective, you have a pantheistic, or in, in Gaudi Vaishnava, is a panentheistic worldview where God is the world and God is beyond the world at the same time. Hmm? But then the problem is, well, if there's, if there's a faults in the world, then must be faults in God. Hmm? But he's one with the world and different from it, so... He's different from it, so that he's not part of the faults, and for the good part, he's part of it, something like that. So at any rate, the answer of the sutra says, no, no, no. The 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 suffering of the jivas um, is not God's partiality, 
that is a result of karma. And so then the, question, the follow-up question comes, well then, it, but at the beginning there must have been, hmm, when he started them out. The scripture says, well, there's no beginning. And so you want to think about that, but the scripture doesn't say anything more. Hmm. It says there's no beginning. And what it means by it is stop thinking about that. Hmm. That's what it means. They said, because some things are not thinkable. Hmm. They don't fit between the ears. And for those things, we need Shastra. Hmm. And we constantly want to th- want to understand things from our vantage point, but our vantage point is not a vantage point from which you can understand everything. Hmm. That's very practical. Uh, don't expect a less complex species of life to somehow, at some point, start understanding some of the things that humans understand. It's not going to happen. And similarly, there are things that humans, the human condition, is blocked from understanding. That's very reasonable. Hmm? Even from an evolutionary point of view, hmm? this, uh, this point I'm making is supportable. Hmm? So the idea that somehow we're going to evolve to know all the answers, there's, there's no reason to believe that. Hmm? So it's, it's reasonable to posit that there are, there are mysteries that you will not know within your humanness. But of course, the Bhagavad says there's a way to transcend your humanness, and that's what your humanness is for. It gives the opportunity to, to go beyond the limits of, of humanity hmm? by help from the other side. Hmm? Hmm? There, there's a mystery. Human life is a question. Why? Hmm? And, and as I've many times said, nature can't answer that question. Because it doesn't pertain to the natural world, it pertains to who's asking the question is consciousness. It's now coming to the surface in human life and asking why. Why don't the birds and bees ask why? They're not having philosophical discussions. They're looking for honey and worms or whatever, you know. And where are you know, how do I get this? How do I get any property would use the eat, sleep, mate, defend? They're asking these questions. Those aren't why questions. Those are how, how-to questions. Nature ans- can answer those questions because they pertain to the natural world. How do I eat? It's all pertaining to the body. How do I sleep? Hmm? How do I mate? Hmm? How do I protect my body? Hmm? Nature answers. So, like, so you find all the species of life have a built-in defense system, relative as it is, and nature's answered the questions. But the human question is a different question. It's of a different... It's categorically different. It's why. And so nature doesn't have a why. And nature can't answer why because the only values that nature have are those that consciousness posits on nature. Consciousness is, is value-laden. We give value to things. Do you understand? Subjective element in the two that makes up the world... Matter and consciousness subjective, or consciousness is subjective, matter is subjective. We give value. We determine the, this is this is good, this is bad. You give the driver gives meaning to the car. So meaning, value, this is all coming from consciousness. So when you want to know meaning, why? Nature just says, go over there. You know, that's all. She she pushes you over there. I can't answer that question. Hmm. It's like the body, you know, 
can't answer the, the, the soul the soul questions. Nature has a soul in human life, and it's starting to ask about itself. So nature's had part of, been part of giving birth to that situation, that human situation, that consciousness can now ask about itself. But the question has to be asked elsewhere. That why that we are has an answer. That's called Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. These are the sacred texts. This is revelation. So comprehensive knowing, to have perfect knowing, you have to have a perfect method. The perfect method is not the exercise of your, of your brain or your brawn. It's not going to give... These are imperfect instruments in themselves. Like I said, evolutionarily speaking, if you want to look at it from that perspective, there's no reason to believe that we're somehow privileged to know everything. And we're going to answer all the questions. It's more reasonable to think there will be unanswered questions that humans under themselves, relying on human resources, will never answer. So, if there are answers, then it's reasonable to conclude that they have to come from somewhere else. And theoretically, these are coming from somewhere else. They're coming from people who are who have transcended. These are qualities. Look at the qualities. You read them and you say, huh? they've transcended humanity. Humans can't be like this. What's described without envy, hmm? without you know, e equal to friend and, and foe, and so forth. You, you you might be like that for a day or two, think about it. But you know, <laughs> not when push comes to shove and you get shoved around. <laughs> it's a little more. So these, um, like you read, I like this. You ever hear the poem of Kipling? If hmm? love a beautiful poem. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it's there it in a very basic sense. It's 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 if you could do that, you would. Who, what would you be? Hmm? Then you could answer all the mysteries. You know, it, it describes different qualities of um, if you could be a king and and remain amongst the common people, hmm? something like you know, these kind of things. It, it gives all those contrasts and so forth. It's very beautiful. It's, in, it's that that's basic, basic um, first six chapters of the Bhagavad Gita, hmm? to know yourself and transcend the limits of, hum of, of humanity. Hmm? That's supernatural. Hmm? So these are the kind of people that, we, that these type of texts come through. We teach about them, hmm? um, who they've manifest through the Vyas and, and, and so forth, the Bhakti Vedantas. So, arguably, the, the answer is that humans are not necessarily privileged, and there's no reason to believe they are privileged to understand, hmm? can come from beyond humanity. And you can, and you're more than humanity, of course, uh, as much as humanity is part of nature, hmm? the natural world. And the natural world doesn't ask why, hmm? it doesn't have any meaning that, the, 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 well, Consciousness has meaning to prove that it's not not for the natural world, but I mean it's very different. It thinks, it experiences. It's 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 the opposite. Why should we think they're different? Well, they're opposites. One experienced is experienced; the other experiences. That's a pretty big difference. 
Why should we think they're different? Well, <laughs> they sure act differently. Hmm? Do you understand? Matter is experienced. Like I said before, don't expect one of those pool balls on a pool table to say ouch one day. Hmm? And similarly, there's little things going around in your brain and so forth. Don't, don't, don't expect experience to come out of them. Hmm? Experiencer is something else. Hmm? It's diametrically opposed. It's the opposite. Hmm? So why should we think they're different? Well, <laughs> they're very different. Look at them. Hmm? Why should we think they're they're not different? Yeah. That that's that's a biased position, which is modern science is, goes in, goes in that direction. It's a very biased position. I'm sorry, your question. Yeah, we were debating this quality question in the car, and uh, it seems to me that the only time the jivas were actually equal is in in the in the Brahma Jodi when they're liberated, because before then they're 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 not uh, because of their material position they're not equal. And afterwards, they're not equal because of their spiritual variegatedness. Only that one point are they equal. But then they're not equal to others in other places. <laughs> right, right, right. So anyway, back yeah, back to the question. Um, you know, different different um, Vaishnavas think differently, but um, the one who thinks quite differently about it is Madhva. Madhva thinks that the jivas are different. Each jiva is different. It has certain certain some differences and so and there may be categories of differences and but within that they have inborn natural differences which will cause them to go in different ways hmm? but the Gaudiya philosophers um, don't speak like that you can find I found just slight maybe connection between that thinking of Madhva and Baladev in his um, Govindabhasha Commentary. Madhvadev came from the Madhva Sampradaya and joined the Gaudiya Sampradaya. He brings a little bit of Madhvism into his uh, his commentary, but um, it's not fully supportable. It's uh, he's you know he speaks about fate and and of the jivas. Generally, the fate refers to karma, but Madhva looks at it as there's some inherent difference. Hmm? I mean, his his philosophy is. Difference, so he's, he's, and everywhere you go, it's different. Uh, there's difference between jivas, difference between the world and the jivas, and jivas in the world, jivas in the god, and the god and the jivas, and uh, everywhere you look, he's got differences. He's just like diametrically opposed to Advaita, Shankar. He's one. Well, they're you know at odds with one another over that. So, but in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, um, we we say that each each jiva's individual, but the way that they're different. There could be so many individual atoms. They're all individual atoms, but they might all be the same. Um, but again, I want to talk about it in more of a dynamic sense. Each jiva is satchitananda. Hmm? But you want to know, is there any difference in that, within that, right? They're all unit of being, knowing, and loving capacity. Hmm? But the jiva is fully what it is, or what it can be. It, it, a jiva is what it can be. It's, it's a dynamic hmm, reality. You are what you can be. What are the limits of what you can be? Is one way to look at it. Hmm? Right? So what am I 
you are what you can be, what your potential is, what your so you have the potential through the ingress of bhakti hmm, to be as much as you can be. Hmm. Whether you are of the by by nature Sadchidananda, atomically, so to speak, in, in minute, and with the ingress of bhakti into the jiva, then it's a huge like Samvit Ladini Sandini, we even give it different names, although they mean Satchitananda. This is huge. This has the power to dispel the influence of Maya and to capture Krishna, conquer Krishna. Wow. And so with the, that ingress into the self, you can be all that you can be. So you're a dynamic, you're Tatasta, you're a dynamic, growing. And so, in one sense, everybody's different. Some have bhakti, some have less bhakti, more bhakti, some. Um, uh, and then different from a karmic point of view and so on and so forth. And where does that... Uh, um, and, I, the, and the more with the ingress of bhakti over lifetimes and so forth, we can see differences. Hmm? So bhakti makes the difference. Uh, something like that, I would say. Um, but um, but technically speaking, in Gaudi Vaishnavism, we don't, uh, the, we don't say... Anything more about the jiva than it than that it is sat, chit, and ananda in an atomic sense. Small. The jiva is the object of love in the world. We love things because they're ours. That means we've gone into them. So what's lovable is us, not matter. It's not lovable because why? Why is matter not lovable? Because it can't love. Exactly, because it can't reciprocate. Hmm? Uh, so you're shaking a dead hand there, you know. <laughs> uh, and not, not only that, you can't even touch it. The jiva can't actually touch matter. Hmm? We only have a mediated experience of matter through mind. Hmm? What it, and, and what we see is not what you get either. It's not. It's not what it appears. There's no solid things out there. Hmm? We see all these solid shapes and so forth, and we want to think, you know, is it real? <laughs> if it's solid and has a shape, it's real. But that's only mediated experience of matter in our mind. Hmm? So, but but we have a capacity to to love because we're animate. We can reciprocate. Love is reciprocal. It will be measured on a scale of reciprocal dealings. Huh? Um, so. Um, Bhagwan makes an overture when there's no beginning to that in the world. There's bhakti in the world. So jivas are touched by it to one extent or another or not yet. Or There's unlimited jivas. There's, no, there's, there's infinite jivas in the material world. So finite is a material conception <laughs> in itself. So yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. So does... Um, so, um Oh, do all jivas? Um, do they get an, do all jivas get an equal opportunity to accept uh, grace? Do, do, do all jivas get the, an equal chance? Uh huh. Do you see, do you see, uh, right? um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a um, American kind of question. <laughs> it is. 
I mean, I mean, it, I, I, it kind of it's better to get in a different world view, like things have no beginning, metaphysical world. It, it, it's it's kind of coming from there, but but um, yeah, the opportunity for bhakti is there for everyone, and of course Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is very uh, big on that, uh, making it available to the to the non non-human, the non-moving. He was concerned. What about the trees? Haridas said, "Oh, when you chant, the echo—that's them chanting back. Don't worry, they're okay. They got it." So, excuse me. Yeah, does everyone get it? And then you have to realize how many are there. <laughs> it's infinite. So these are. But yeah, sure. Bhagwan is, but uh, is compassionate to everyone. They arise out of his compassion. Mahabishnu is, is, the is is the is is the Mahasankarshana Baikuntha, Narayan, hmm? Narayan of Baikuntha. Wants to experience compassion. He can't experience it there. Who can he bestow Sarupya Salokya Sarsdi Saimipyan? Everybody's got it. So there needs to be another world for that. Hmm? Now, so Mahavishnu is manifest for that, and so he the whole world is for, is for the for the for the so that the Godhead can experience compassion, and the world involves manifesting the jivas. So they are a manifestation of um, Mahavishnu's compassion. He's kind of like you see, the Mahavishnu is closer. This is another thing. Closer to the world, the more the compassion. The further you are in Krishna Lila, the more difficult it is to be compassionate because you have no experience. And empathy is is easy to do if you have experience of the suffering of another. Krishna has no experience. But as Mahavishnu, then, he can be very compassionate. Of course, again, the desire for compassion arises in Vaikuntha. These aren't events in time. So anyway, given that we, if you understood properly, we are a product of the compassion of of Narayan in the form of Mahavishnu. Hmm? But a problem occurs along the way. Hmm? And so the need for the avatar and the savior and so forth. So no one's left out. Hmm? But there's no end. <laughs> there's no beginning. What if, you know, they say, well, what if everybody got liberated? Then there'd be no world, you know. These kind of, these are, you know, they're questions from our perspective. We want everything to make sense from our perspective and so forth. And that's why I say Shastra sometimes says, no. We say, well, what about the beginning? We're back to that. And then, then it must have started out unequally. No, there was no beginning. And you want to, can we discuss that? No. That's what it says. No. Anadi. There's no, no, don't try to discuss it. You won't understand. You understand. Just take my word for it. Shastra says, it. then that is what Shraddha is. Where Shraddha When you want to fight with that, hmm, it means you want it to fit inside your head. Meanwhile, Shastra wants you to get out of your head. Hmm. If you want it all to fit in your head, then you're going to stay right where you are. That's the problem. So certain things can only be answered by Shastra. But I want 
then to be well, you can make it as reasonable as you know you want. There are ways to think about it that it's reasonable. Reason is pretty flexible, but but um, but again, we're not here to satisfy our reasoning. We're here to understand the limits of intellect, also. All, you know, reason is not one of the deities here on the altar. It has its place. It's an attempt. It has it's it's beautiful when it when it serves as a an assistant to faith. Not when it 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 presides, and because because as a presider, it will kill faith. Of course, we by reason we be also be, we get some faith too. We think, well, I got experience. That's my a reason about it. I have faith, but reason can't rule. Faith ultimately has to, is the medium by which we we go there. Hmm. So, all right. Well, interesting discussion. Very much appreciate it. And um, where are you all staying? You came. Okay, that was pretty close. Yeah. Good. So you'll be here for a few days. Yeah. And you're going to be here one till last day tomorrow. We should go back on the land and look at it again. We go tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. Good. Come over in the morning, maybe. Okay. Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Shri Gaurana Mahadev ki jai. Gaurabhakta Vrindu. Gaurabhakta Vrindu.